and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson. Joining me in a bit will be Peter Salmon, and uh, he's going to join us to tackle this week's review, which is uh, a movie that we had to go to the movie theater to see. (laughs) Movie theaters have been open for at least a couple of weeks now, so... Um, it's been sort of long in the making, this this return engagement to the theater. And just in time for the season finale of the show, we're going to be taking a couple of weeks off for the next couple of weeks. We'll be back with new episodes on August the 25th. But it feels good to sort of uh, end the season, as it were, um, by going back to the movie theater. It seems like... Um, well, I'm not going to say we're getting back to normal, because who knows what's going to happen. But it was normal-ish, and I appreciated that. End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new superhero action flick, The Suicide Squad, which you can now see only at a theater near you. So, going back to the theater in the summer, a very summer-ish activity, and uh, very long-anticipated. So it seems right, as we go back to the movie theater at this week's show, we bring our mini-series of of time-traveling segments to review summer movie seasons of a past to a close, and this week that is going to be the summer of 1995. A very busy summer, and a very eclectic summer at that. Um, A lot of interesting things going on. Some of them expected, some of them unexpected, some big hits, some big bombs. So let's get this rolling with May the 12th, 1995. That weekend, Crimson Tide came out, which is somewhat loosely based on something that happened on a real submarine during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, it's kind of an acting, it's a two-hander acting school kind of thing going on because it's got Denzel Washington facing off against Gene Hackman as the the first officer and the captain of the submarine, respectively. Awesome cast, by the way, because it's got uh, George Danusta, uh, Viggo Mortensen, James Gandolfini, Matt Craven, Rocky Carroll, Danny Nucci, uh, Ricky Schroeder, Steve Zahn... Uh, Ryan Philippe's even in it a bit. So uh, this is before Ryan Philippe blew up, um, so to speak. But it's uh, also a Tony Scott film, so you know it's going to be expertly shot and edited. And uh, it was kind of the last... Well, it wasn't the last hurrah for Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer, the, the, who, who together produced tons of big movies in the 80s and 90s, including um, Top Gun... Um, to name one uh, off the top of my head. Uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, of course, would go on to produce many, many more things. Don Simpson died in 1996. Technically, their last film was The Rock, but he died before The Rock came out. So Crimson Tide was kind of like one of the last films they were were able to um, enjoy and produce together, um, sort of to to the end of the line, as it were. On May 17th, we get The City of Lost Children, which is this kind of bizarre film from Jean-Pierre Jeannot. It's kind of the his his calling card uh, f- 
for the next gig he was going to get, which was directing Alien Resurrection. It's like kind of this weird kind of Frankenstein-y story. It it's, does not make 100% sense, plot-wise speaking. But um, it has its moments. Um, and it's very interesting. It's very well designed, very well crafted. And Ron Perlman is the lead. Um, it sets up more his sort of <laughs> supplementary films after Alien Resurrection, things like Amelie and things like A Very Long Engagement, better than it sets up sort of a big Hollywood career that never materialized. But um, I, 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 I'm not a... I don't dismiss Alien Resurrection. It has its moments. Um, <clears throat> so on May 19th, we get Die Hard with a Vengeance. Probably, and I think a lot of people agree, like the last great Die Hard movie, but it is the one that sort of would lay the groundwork for how the next two chapters people think they need to work. Like one of them is having Samuel L. Jackson in, you know, in Die Hard with a Vengeance. He's kind of uh, John McClane's sidekick. So at some point it got in the head of everyone making a Die Hard movie that John McClane needs a sidekick. <laughs> and so it has a lot of great ideas in it, a lot of great action. It's John McTiernan returning to direct it. It's definitely a step above because it's a, it, it's kind of a different adventure entirely versus um, Die Hard 2, which was basically warmed over Die Hard 1 in an airport. But at the same time, um, there were a lot of lessons learned that uh, were kind of driven into the ground in the two subsequent Die Hard chapters. Uh, that weekend, A Little Princess came out, which is the Alfonso Cuaron adaptation of that famous novel. And uh, part definitely uh, something to check off the list if you're uh, doing a Quran rewatch and and you know seeing how he evolved as a filmmaker. Next, we got Braveheart, which came out on May the twenty fourth, and this was kind of the uh, the last gasp of the the great actor director combo era. So you know in in ninety you had. Kevin Costner win Best Oscar for Best Director and Picture for Dances with Wolves. Clint Eastwood does the same thing in 92 with Unforgiven, and then in 95 you get Mel Gibson doing Braveheart. Uh, also, kind of the peak of, of Mel Gibson's power right around here. Uh, like he, There were some successes after that, but... Um, I, th I think, you know, when you look at Mel Gibson's career at this point, there's kind of some diminishing returns. Uh, Braveheart is definitely sort of his the peak of his power and influence in Hollywood. Um, on that same weekend, you also get Tales from the Hood, which is an attempt to revive the horror anthology. It was uh, predominantly black filmmakers, black cast. Uh, Spike Lee was the executive producer. And, uh, well... It it wasn't a huge hit. I don't think it was a hit at all, but um, noteworthy for the attempt. On May the 26th, we get Casper, which is an adaptation of Casper the Friendly Ghost, the the old um, Harvey Comics um, strip about the happy <laughs> ghost, the friendly ghost. Interestingly, Brad Siberling directed it, and if you know Brad Siberling's background, he his girlfriend... Rebecca Schaefer was murdered by a stalker in the late 80s. So it's kind of weird, like, his first big movie is about a ghost. And then after this, he did City of Angels, which was about uh, a forbidden romance between an angel and a suicidal doctor. So uh, talk about filmmakers who are working some stuff out. 
um, through the art. On that same weekend, Johnny Mnemonic came out, um, which is f- the first of several films that came out in the summer. Well, not several, but at least a, like a solid trend of films in the summer of 1995 that was basically of the subgenre internet bad. And of course, Johnny Mnemonic not helped by the fact it was um, based on a, a, a William Gibson story, and he William Gibson wrote this, the the screenplay. William Gibson, sort of the creator of cyberpunk as a subgenre, had a really great cla- really great cast with Keanu Reeves and uh, Ice T, Henry Rollins, Udo Kier, uh, Dolph Lundgren, but it just completely misses the misses the point and the subtlety of the cyberpunk genre. Uh, the director, Robert Longo, who I just decided to look up his his, his bibliography, <laughs> his, his, movie, um, his movie filmography here. Um, he doesn't seem to rate. He did a Tales from the Crypt episode. Um, and apparently did some music videos, uh, including New Order's Bizarre Love Triangle, and The One I Love by uh, R.E.M. So, uh, maybe he was, maybe he was, like, permanently defeated by Johnny Mnemonic, I don't know. We'll have to look that up later. On June the 2nd, we get Bridges of Madison County, which was a completely kind of, this was a big book that a lot of people really deeply loved, and it was terribly bizarre that this romantic story, um, this sort of lushly told romantic story about a middle-aged woman who cheats on her husband would sort of be picked up by Clint Eastwood of all cockamamie people um, to to adapt it. But a lot of people really like it, and they like his performance in the film and uh, Meryl Streep as, as the female lead. On June 9th, we get Congo, which is this, like, ridiculous, uh, mostly because of um, people in ape suits. Uh, <laughs> uh, understandable why this would sort of come up. This is, like, literally two years after Jurassic Park, so everything Michael Crichton, people thought they could spin into box office gold. Congo proved that is not the case, although there is still value um, in Congo. It is a little bit of a cult classic. On June the 16th, we get Batman Forever, which is, at the time, was this huge pivot because Tim Burton was going so dark. This is going slightly lighter, um, but it's definitely, uh, there's definitely warning signs in it of the full camp this would go in, this the direction of camp this would go in with Batman and Robin. However, I mean, Batman Forever, and it might have been because Joel Schumacher, the director, passed away earlier this year? Maybe last year? I think it was last year. But uh, maybe because of that, but also because just like the general sameness of all comic book movies, and we'll get into a bit of that later, people sort of have grown to love Batman Forever, even if they hated it <laughs> um, for years. Um, it was a bold swing. Let's just put it that way, a bold swing. There's a definite aesthetic at work. You may not like it, but there's a definite aesthetic that you don't get that in a lot of comic book movies now. On June 23rd, we get Pocahontas, which, I mean, even at the time was kind of problematic, but, uh, you know, looking back now, uh, it's even doubly problematic as we're trying to work our way through truth and reconciliation with redi- with indigenous people. Kind of big warning flag that colonialism wasn't all bad, and John Smith and Pocahontas were two people very much in love rather than she was someone that the English kidnapped and took to England. Having said that... Uh, 
this is definitely a period of Disney where they've had like back to back to back successes with their animated films, and now they're like kind of uh, trying to shake things up stylistically, artistically. Um, the the style book kind of goes out the window, starting with Pocahontas, and we start getting to some kind of really more challenging material, and that goes deeper the next summer with uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, which we won't get into um, because. This is this is a pause on this series for now. We might come back to it later. Who knows? On June thirtieth, you get Apollo thirteen, easily uh, one of Ron Howard's best films, probably the one he should have won Best Picture for. You also get Judge Dredd, which is the Stallone take on this. They tried to turn it into a Sylvester Stallone movie instead of uh, the the satire that the Judge Dredd comic kind of is. Also notable, Judge Dredd. Famous for never taking off his helmet, but, you know, three minutes into the <laughs> Stallone Judge Dredd, the helmet is off. Um, you also thought we can get Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Um, this was, like, before Power Rangers were considered, like, internationally bankable IP, but it, it, the, the series was very successful, so they tried out a movie, and and there you go. Uh, we're running out of time again. Uh on July 7th, you get First Night, which is Sean Connery as King Arthur, but you can't ignore the fact that, like, very young Julia Ormond was playing Guinevere. <laughs> and so there's kind of a disparagement there. This is not the the Arthurian uh, tale you kind of want. Also, it takes the material much too seriously, for my taste. You get Species, the complete opposite of taking material seriously. Um... On July 14th, you get Nine Months, which is more famous for what Hugh Grant did off-set than what he did on-set. Um, on July 19th, you get Clueless, which is really this cultural touchstone. Um, still very well regarded, very well enjoyed. Launched what people thought was going to be a huge career for Alicia Silverstone that unfortunately did not materialize. Um, although she did get a chance to play Batgirl which is something else we won't be talking about. On July 28th, we get The Net, which is the second of these, like, Internet is Evil movies, <laughs> where it's like Sandra Bullock literally on the run against the Internet, almost literally. I mean, there are bad guys who are trying to chase her as well, but it, the whole thing is like, ooh, this Internet thing is dark and mysterious, and we need to be careful. I mean, basically, looking back, yeah, it was right, but it, it's kind of like... The, the whole thing, like, in Day After Tomorrow, where they're literally running from the cold. That's that's kind of how the internet felt treated in these movies. The third one, just to get a little ahead, um, was Virtuosity, where uh, very early Russell Crowe performance, he plays this computer program that is, like, a combination of various psychopaths throughout history, but he somehow manages to enter the real world, and Denzel Washington has to catch him. It's... Uh, <laughs> Again, it seems kind of bizarre that you would create an artificial intelligence that could then like jump from the computer to the real world, but that's how scared people were of the internet at the time. <sighs> anyway, uh, that summer we also get um, Waterworld on July 28th, one of the, again, kind of famous for going way over budget, although everything that's come out uh, this year, last year, the year before that... Um, you know, they're spending Waterworld money times three 
Um, <laughs> it's interesting to flick, think back about, ooh, it's a money pit, this water world, they're spending $100 million. Well, you know, now $100 million is a mid price movie. Um, you get Dangerous Minds on August 11th, you get Mortal Kombat on August 18th, and you get Desperado, the breakthrough film for both Antonio Banderas and director Robert Rodriguez to wrap up that summer. That wraps up our summer look back. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you enjoy the review of The Suicide Squad, which we are going to be doing next. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. There will come a day when news will pass away, doobie-doobop. What will they say about me? When the end comes, I know there was just a jiggle Life goes on without me. What? Life goes on without me. Yo, is this a dog? What? Is, is this thing a dog? A, a dog? Yes. What? What kind of dog do you think it is, mate? I don't know. I'm not familiar with all the breeds. I'm gonna go with Afghan Hound. Just when is an Afghan hound and bloody thumbs? Oh my god, is it a werewolf? I want it to meet a werewolf forever! Yo, they shot me into a werewolf? He's not a werewolf, okay? He's a weasel. He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children, but, you know, we got him to... I think he's agreed to do this. Whatever the case, just everyone get in a position to drop. And that was a clip from The Suicide Squad. It's the new film from writer and director James Gunn, and it stars Margot Robbie, Idris Elba, John Cena, Joel Kinnerman, Peter Capaldi, Daniela Melchior, David Desmalkin, and Viola Davis. I am now being joined on the line by Peter Salmon. Peter, how are you today? Yeah, doing good, doing good. Still living life out here in the old capital city, Ottawa. Yeah, Hoping uh, hoping Guelph's doing good. Anybody listening in Guelph, hope you're all doing good in the old royal city. <laughs> the old royal city from the yeah, old capital the city. the old royal. Oh, boy. Such regal... Uh, such regal introductions here. Hard to believe we're here to talk about The Suicide Squad, um, which is about as far as regal as you can get, but uh, that's the James Gunn motif. And um, So, Peter, uh, maybe you can begin by talking about why you felt the urge to run out to that movie theater as the pandemic winds down and watch The Suicide Squad. Why? It's because I thought it was on On Demand. So that's why I wanted to. <laughs> um, so anybody listening, if you're wanting On Demand, no, not here in our country. No HBO Go. Um, and not on Fibe or whatever, as it usually is. Um, but no, I also want to see a Suicide Squad because it's just one of those films where it's, it's you know, I didn't read in-depthly into the reviews because, you know, I wanted to view it in quite a neutral way. But it was hard to avoid all the articles popping up about, you know, how it was getting critical acclaim and really, you know, marvelous film. And um, I was curious <laughs> how different it would be from the original one. So, 
yeah, there's just a lot of elements there. Also, the uh, you know anybody listening, there's great actors. Margot Robbie, she's great. Idris Elba, John Cena. I like John Cena. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, though, part of the main reason is I really like, you know, Pete Davis and um, Michael Rooker, right? But uh, if you're a fan of those people, maybe watch a different film. Maybe go, <laughs> maybe go check out a different film. They're, uh, they're, they're not in the film very long. Um, even though in the trailers and the posters, they are portrayed as main characters. They're out after about 10 minutes. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't get yeah. attached to anybody, even... Yeah, Pete, Pete Davidson, rest in peace, and Michael <laughs> Rooker, rest in peace. <laughs> no, it's like 10 minutes in, and like I said, if you're a fan of those two people, don't don't watch the film. Right? Well, what would you, did you did you know they would be gone after that long? It was, it was like 10 minutes. My suspicion was that a lot of them would be gone at, uh, you know, when you're, when you're kind of introducing all the new people like all these new people like it, it was very much with the intent that ev- almost all of them would be gone yeah so that put me out but it, it, <laughs> i'm not gonna lie it was a very fun opening it was a fun opening it was one of those yeah um, and i even though like i love those two I, i'm okay with with some idrisel but he is you know he's a really good actor and it's good seeing him doing some action stuff it's first time in a bit doing that at least for uh you know me going and viewing it. Um, mm-hmm. He's getting older, though. He's getting older. It's it's interesting to see that you know people wanted him as the the younger James Bond, and we're we're too late for that, you know. But he's uh, he's doing good, and uh, I I didn't I didn't think his character was too in depth. Like I, I don't think we got enough information about it for me to get too interested. But you know his action and his uh, you know his quips were were fun. His little British puns and you know the jokes mm. i guess it wasn't really british puns it was puns towards being british but it was funny it was good i liked it mm-hmm. and uh yeah i i also i do want to say other than margaret robbie idris elba and john cena um <laughs> I, I wasn't i'm not really aware of the other people like i haven't i hadn't really seen uh jay courtney or joel kinnaman in much um, obviously viola davis i knew viola davis but there was a lot of the younger actors i wasn't really Mm-hmm. aware with and even though i watch this film i'm still not like fully aware of them but uh yeah they did an okay job yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh yeah the um what i like is um there there's so many thoughts right now in my head uh <laughs> watching off what what you you said but yeah the, what i like is that uh it lives up to the name because I think that was the one of my biggest gripes with um, the first Suicide Squad movie was that um, there weren't a lot of deaths in it. I no. mean, of like the main characters, like Scott Eastwood bites it, but I don't even know if he gets a name in the movie because he's just like a random sort of G.I. Joe guy. And um, <laughs> Adam Beach dies in rather swiftly as as this guy Slipknot, who's a supervillain that can climb anything, which would come in handy in an alien invasion somehow. But, um, also that character was basically introduced to die, be the first one to die, so that's <laughs> that's kind of the point. But, you know, 
there was almost too much preciousness in that movie, the way that, you know, the, the characters were sort of coveted. Um, the Suicide Squad, now by James Gunn, is the complete opposite. Like, literally nothing is precious. Uh, everyone <laughs> is cannon fodder. And the great thing about that opening sequence on the beach is that it shows, like, even, like, people who you are invested in from the previous movie are not safe. And, um... I, I won't spoil who gets squashed in the initial scene, but it's uh, I, I, I was glad to see that um, he was sort of James Gunn was sort of given just carte blanche. It's like you can just do do what you want, do this. Is, and and the, this is kind of what I always wish the DC movies would would have done is like you pair great directors with the right material and just like let them go for it rather than this whole extended universe nonsense. Um, this is, yeah, the, well, and he's trustworthy. He's, he's done great with uh, superhero films already. So I mean, exactly, I think it's, I'm not only glad most, for it, it was the right choice and it, it doesn't surprise me that he's finally getting more full control. Right. But I mean, this is this very much, if you've seen like slither and super, um, and sort of understand James Gunn's background, like writing for trauma. Um, this is like exactly in his wheelhouse. Like apparently he was offered, you know, you can do a Superman movie, James Gunn. And he correctly noted, like, I don't think uh, the world he is would right. James Gunn be able Superman. to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but Suicide Squad, he would do. And it, 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 it absolutely, you know, he picks like really great characters, like, uh, like polka dot man, like, <laughs> the polka dot guy, yeah, he was great. He was great. The actor's in Ant Man too, and he's he's just yeah, he's marvelous. He's a he's a wonderful actor, and uh, he's also a regular in. Oh, I always forget Jordarovsky. I forget the the upcoming Dune that director. So it's, it's yeah yeah. So it's good. Uh, it's good seeing him. Um, you know, hit the big screen. Not just one film, two films, twenty twenty one. David both, you know, yeah. yeah, both making bank. Well, actually, this uh, apparently was a little disappointing, but uh, for the Suicide Squad, we got we got to keep in mind on demand and everything, right? Not here, obviously, but HBO in the states. I mean, you got to kind of grade everything on a curve. It's yeah. Um, but yeah, so like the characters are are interesting. Like he he makes like actual improvements on the characters are introduced in the previous movie, like uh, Marco Robbie's Harley Quinn. You know, there there's clearly. And again, I, I don't want to kind of take back what I said about, you know, the whole uh, extended universe bollocks. But the, the there is kind of like a through line from Harley's uh, character evolution from the first Suicide Squad to what happened to her in Birds of Prey to what she does in this movie. And uh, I She's appreciate it. She's growing up. Yeah. And uh, also the, the Kinnerman character, Rick Flagg, um, I want to see the movie between the first Suicide Squad movie and this Suicide Squad movie where he learns to relax. And yeah, kind of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because um, it, there, yeah, there's he was definitely very kind of a whole film. Yeah, he was like he was like one you know, incident in a closet with holding his gun to his head away from being like a like a PTSD after school special. It, but in, in this, he's like a bit looser, a bit more relaxed. And I, I really appreciated that a lot. I think the one thing, the one, I hate to say it because I don't think he, it's his fault, but Idris Elba really seems like the weak link. Not he because of, Not because of him or what he does in the film. It's just because, yeah, it's because it's clearly that uh, they wrote that 
for expecting Will Smith to come back as Deadshot, and Will and when Will Smith didn't come back, they're just like, well, let's look for another guy from the comics who also whose also special ability is that he never misses. Yeah. Uh, and then they they went with um, oh, what's his character Bloodsport? Yeah, uh, and it, yeah, it didn't work so well. It didn't work so well. It didn't really go along with the kind of uh, characteristics we expect from Idris Elba. A little too. Uh, a little too excessively cockney. I guess. it was. It was. Yeah, it was strange. And there wasn't, um, like you said, with Will Smith. I think they had a lot of jokes and a lot of really great ideas they would have brought in. And it was just kind of a quick planning for Idris Elba. You know, it, but, it just um, feels. It just feels like there's a script somewhere where, for all everywhere where there's uh, like dialogue and instructions for like blood sport, somebody scratched out Deadshot and wrote blood sport instead. <laughs> yeah. Just the exact same. <laughs> and yeah. I, I think that, I mean, he also has like a daughter, um, you know, who's uh, Amanda Waller's willing to manipulate to get what she wants. So it, it's, it just, the whole thing seemed like we were expecting Will Smith to come back because I, you know, he was good in it. I thought he was good in the first suicide squad movie. He, he like the, the, the the casting has never been an issue with any of these movies. They're always like really good at casting. Yeah, people. it's true. I don't but know. I don't myself know about Jared Leto, but other than that, yeah, no, there's been of course some Jared, great casting. Jared, Jared Leto is the <laughs> is the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, <laughs> well, I can also see why people like some people liked him. So I, I you know, I, I can I kind of understand that, I guess. But uh, no, uh, the casting in this was, yeah, was was outstanding. I, I know we already talked about him, but I, I mm. haven't seen him anything. I love this David Dasmalcha guy. He is the polka mm. dot man was was so much fun. And mm. uh, the most the one thing about the polka dot man is it allowed <laughs> for a lot of really dark suicide jokes like genuine depression yeah. and suicide humor and i thought i thought that was great i know that the director has dealt with i don't know depression but he's dealt with issues like that himself him and his whole uh, all the guns they got some mental stuff so it was uh it was nice to see that brought in in a comedic way but also uh you know the character he dealt with depression it wasn't making fun of him it was you know a really uh, it was a a joke of depression through him and i thought that was really well done yeah it's um, it's really good at pointing out like a lot of these people are just kind of damaged in the room. Yeah, way. exactly. But, oh, and uh, um, speaking of uh, amazing actors, Sylvester Stallone. I didn't expect him in this. That's the voice of King Shark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I thought he was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's again, it's it's really good. I mean, exploiting a character that can be a joke, but can also be done in a really interesting way. He's got, he's great at it. This yeah. is the same thing that he did with the little tree dude, the little Bruce Willis yeah. tree dude, Groot or whatever. Groot, yeah, Groot. I thought that was I thought it was great. That's the whole point of Guardians of the Galaxy. Is I remember when they when Marvel announced that they were going to make a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and everyone was like, "What How are you, you even that? talking about, Marvel? Like you're going to make a movie out of a talking tree and a cybernetic raccoon? That's bizarre." And then you know they hide. You, you you get the right filmmaker and they can make it happen. And I think again, that's what's going on with Suicide Squad is that you you get the right filmmaker and they can turn King Shark, which in the comics and he's also been on the Flash TV show too. is is usually presented presented as like this brute monster, and there's definitely some of that in in the Suicide Squad. But he's also can be this like kind of uh, I, I don't know simplistic, but like. Almost sweet. I mean, there's a there's a line where where Ratcatcher two look literally says, "He has such like he has such kind eyes. I can see it. He just needs to like he just needs to be friends." And yeah. um, 
but you can kind of see that too, and it, he becomes kind of like an un, an unlikely um, crowd favorite. In, yeah, that you look the... up to. Yeah, my wife. It was her her absolute most favorite character mm-hmm. um, by far. Also, what I, I think is cool. I'm just reading it now. It was Steve Aggie who developed uh, King Shark. Like the physicals, how Kid Shark would look yeah. and how uh, it'd be brought in. So that's awesome. I love Steve Aggie, um, Sarah Silverman program. He's one of my uh, favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I thought that was great. And, and just seeing that, uh, that's one thing too. David Wayne, he's or sorry, not David Wayne. I don't know why. I think that that is very offensive <laughs> towards people with glasses. When I David Wayne, James Gunn, uh, brunettes with glasses. I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry to all brunettes with glasses. James Gunn. Uh, what I thought was. Uh, really cool is he and i think he's done this before even you know gilmore girls he brought in a couple like true comedians you know for people uh like me who know comedic actors and really enjoy that you know they play smaller roles but uh it's just nice seeing them mm-hmm. and uh so just yeah i know we were just he's a great guy he's james gunn you're just you're great you're great i don't know who your casting guy is maybe you have someone else but you're you did a good job picking that yeah, there's. I mean, if, you know, he he mixes in like people he usually works with, like Michael Rooker and and Nathan Fillion. Yeah. And oh yeah, know, I forgot Nathan Fillion is uh, Fillion is in this. Who de- who is he? Is he a voice? Where is he? he? He's the detachable kid. Oh oh okay okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, um, that, oh, you're totally you're totally right. Yeah. And then he like finds some like just like weirdos like uh flula borg this german comedian to play this like weird yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah also just uh going off of that um oh i forget where i was going but uh yeah i I also just think visually visually it was great all around as well with the uh inclusion Mm. of the characters and their costume design oh that's where i was going so when it comes to visuals Mm-hmm. My main issue with DC in the past has been the evil villains and the characters, how they look. You know, the Justice League ones, it's it's just so dark. And all of the bad mm-hmm. creatures are just these, like, aliens that we've all seen before. They're just gray, dark, right? This one, yeah. so much brightness to the costumes. And in particular, the main villain, like the big starfish... Mm-hmm. genius it's it's beautiful it's it's <laughs> fun but it's the villain and it's not just something you immediately forget about it's something you, you're going to pay attention to it you know not just pay attention to the characters attacking it you're going to pay attention to that character they're attacking that villain whereas in all the other like justice leagues i don't even remember who the villains were i think just some aliens or whatever so yeah, yeah the, the there's been a, a really um it's very different than a lot of the dc films prior i think uh and I think that's clear through the enemy, the uh, the main villain. Yeah, it's like the focus is always kind of like on CG leap globs, and um, I mean that's the case in the Justice League movie, or it's like Parademons, which are actually from the comics, but um, still they're these like CG beasties. And then uh, the first the first Suicide Squad movie, I've heard people call them the Raisin People, which. <laughs> seems to <laughs> i think is almost pretty much on the nose but uh yeah in this like for the most of the film the the like the antagonists are like regular guys it's like army guys mm-hmm. and then it all leads up to the revelation of this giant star which also is from the comic books it's yeah yeah Conqueror. um 
I, it's similar to Watchmen too, the kind of thing where you think it's just, you know, regular humans and, you know, those kinds of war issues we're all dealing with. But then it's not, it's just some crazy old huge alien that just wants our, you know, earth as a whole. Right. It, it, but it's, it's really interesting what he does with it. Um, where you're, there's a portion of the movie where they're talking about project starfish, which is the code name for, um, this cat. And you, you actually do see like, file footage of when the the starfish creature Starro was was captured in space like 20 years um prior and so there's like this kind of this buildup of this um this kind of um concern this kind of dread about like what what they're going to find when they actually break into um this facility and uh destroy project starfish and then when you get there and and it's revealed this like there's the full reveal where it's the, the star of the conqueror emerges from the ground and starts smashing things and also starts launching little stars that take over oh, people yeah that was cool mind control and but you know you actually get it's both ludicrous and scary at the same time and then like right at the end when they like defeat starro he has this line about how he was just, you know, floating in space, watching the stars, and it's kind of like this Frankenstein moment where it's like this horrible. Oh, yeah, I didn't even really know what it was doing, you know. Yeah. It was just kind of walking. I, I, I've, I thought about that too. <laughs> I was actually kind of hoping they tried to maybe kind of save it, or but, but you know, I understand they had to do what they did. Mm-hmm. So I mean, uh, the fight with it too is the CGI of that is great, especially the one part where I think it's Harley Quinn. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to spoil anything, but kind of goes within him and it's it's very well done yes uh the magic javelin um gets paid off it's so. a great action scene absolutely yeah <laughs> check off javelin um <laughs> but yeah it, but th- there's such a great mixture of heart and just like horribleness and <laughs> uh you know these people are complex um like a character like john cena let me just say about john cena though. oh yeah we didn't really mention him i thought he was good I mean, John Cena in this shows, and this is going to be controversial, why he's a better actor than Dwayne Johnson, because he has range. I, I would, oh, absolutely. He absolutely. has range. Like, he can, he, he does, like, these deadpan lines, like, about how he cherishes peace, and he doesn't care about how many men, women, or children he has to kill to get peace. But oh, then yeah. it, there's a scene when they're in the, the, the starfish facility um, where there's a serious like scary turn with that character and you, and you do kind of feel it. And it just like in this one, like stupid movie about supervillains trying to save the world. You have John (laughs) Cena doing like, like actually great acting where he's like a buffoon on one hand. And then on the other hand, he's like this super scary dude and you feel both sides of it. And it just, this was a great showcase for him. Absolutely. uh, Yeah. Well that is, um, seen him in was it sisters is he in that one or train wreck or whatever he's, he's train good wreck. At, like yeah train wreck he's good at comedy too oh, he's, wreck, he's, yeah. he's, he's in the one amy polar like comedy too the one other one and he's great in it um so seeing him in this be both a mixture of you know action humor and then some not something scary but you know some some anger some true violence kind of villain characteristics near the end like mm-hmm. you said it's just further proof that he's yeah yeah no i'm on your side i think he's uh, <laughs> i think he's a lot better than the rock at acting 
Uh, but like for what's what's the the Jungle Book or whatever? Not the Jungle Book, the Jungle Cruise or whatever. You know mm-hmm. that in comparison to John Cena's also currently in theaters role is you know that's proof just right there. And Bumblebee and everything. So yeah, if you're a John Cena fan, he is he's very main in this. You gotta you gotta check it out. It's not they're not tricking you mm-hmm. like with you know Pete Davidson, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So check it out. Check out the old John Cena. Oh, and you know what? Blockers. Yeah, he's going. He's all over the place. Um, yeah, I, was, I also because um, we were just talking about visuals and the the costumes. Well, I mentioned mm-hmm. the CGI. The costume designs are great too. I loved his. His uh, <laughs> his looked familiar. Like I, I'd seen it in the comics. Although it also kind of looked like the um, the one like anime where he's like a racer, like a car racer, like the speed speed racer guy or whatever. Speed Either racer. way, yeah, he he kind of <laughs> looked like that a little. But it was it was really. It was it was great, yeah. Yeah, he. Um, I, I did like the costumes. Um, yeah, all of them, all of them, great. Especially they, they did kind of evoke the time period a little. Um, well, I guess the time period that that James Gunn is trying to go for, like these kind of grindhouse seventies war movies kind of thing, um, or if you're going highbrow like the Dirty Dozen, there's definitely that feeling in it too. Um, but yeah, just because J- he's James Gunn's going for that aesthetic. It, it makes sense to, to do kind of like the more outlandish versions of of some of these costumes, like the Peacemaker, who, um, you know, is wearing red and white in the middle of the jungle and has this big silver <laughs> helmet on his head, or uh, like even the um, even the the uh, the upgrade the upgrade to the Captain Boomerang outfit, um, and uh, there's also um harley quinn's outfit like i'm i'm oh it was uh, very well done especially yeah. the uh the last fight where we got the slow-mos of it such great yeah. costume design yeah um, or i guess he i don't know if his costume design because it was pretty cgi but i guess his computer <laughs> costume design <laughs> but it was very well done yeah like the the suit she's wearing at the beginning where i think it was inspired by the the arkham city video game where it, you know she's oh, not yeah yeah she's not walking around in the board shorts and the the midriff top which um is is such relief because i think that's one of the bigger warning lights in in that first suicide squad movie is just how um how sec- yeah sexualized she is sexual yeah yeah um yeah, yeah. margot robbie deserves uh, you know she deserves better than that she does, especially since like she clearly invests so much in in this character, mm-hmm. uh, like doing a lot of her own stunts, and and it it was really like there was some, there's like an entire I don't I can't remember if it was single shot or if it just kind of feels like it, but her entire like breaking out of this um, like prison facility that she's being held in, where she um, she acts uh, where she plays dead and then strangles the the guard with her legs and then is able to use her toes to get the keys and reach up and unlock herself and then kind of like it, it's kind of like a video game it feels a bit video gamey but i liked it where she's like <laughs> going like from up each level and it's like yeah yeah killing all the guys until she escapes um which which is it, it was a great showcase for for her as as a character i mean also to show that you know this this woman is lethal and you probably don't want to mess with her which is um why she's on the suicide squad but also a great way for marco robbie to show off that she's capable of some really great physicality and she can be a really great physical performer as well as the you know the more i guess um the the other aspects of harley quinn which is like cracking wise and 
<laughs> being yeah, a human. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be, uh, just being in her own world. <laughs> a very a very different view upon the world. Um, yeah, I, I, I loved how she just like forgets people's names all the time and everything <laughs> like that. Um, there was there was a lot of just yeah, small uh small that was clips a great from her, fun that was comments. Great. Yeah, that was, that was, yeah, one of my favorites. The one um, about Milton, yeah. What were your thoughts on uh, Peter Capaldi in it? I didn't. Uh, I, I thought he was okay, but what was he needed? Do you know what I mean? Was his character really like when I first looked at him? Was he supposed to be the main villain or what? You know, I don't know. I I I liked him. Uh, I yeah, liked- he was good. He's good in it. That's the thing. I just when I first saw him, him, I expected it to be kind of the main villain, but it was more just, uh, I guess, kind of a. I mean, he's kind of like a mid-level boss, but it, it. Yeah, I guess kind of like the not the Sandman. What's his name in the, in the Batman films? He's like a bad guy, but he's oh, not Scarecrow? the main. Oh, Yeah, it's kind of like that. I guess he was a bad guy, but not the main one. He's kind of there to yeah. to reveal that there was some. Yeah, some action I, and some stuff going on before the film. I like Capaldi. I, I as an actor, just period. I like seeing him turn up and stuff. But I, I, I like, I like him as a thinker. It, it, it felt like a really good meld of like actor and and persona. Um, and I liked him sort of like being this, I guess, intermediary. This guy who's like being allowed to be like just this mad scientist on this island and just do whatever he wants because he's he's got the cleverness and the expertise yeah that's true i guess he was he was kind of a look into how um you know this isn't just the suicide squad this is the dc universe like there's 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 other superhero stuff going on you know and there's some some other interesting people i get he was a look at how there's more than just the suicide squad in the dc universe well, it was nice to to see like in both in this movie and I guess to a degree. Like yeah. I was just I was just thinking about like there are a lot of bad guys in these comic book universes who are just like basically assassins with like weird costumes or like advanced <laughs> weapons. And it's yeah, like, it's true. Here's here's a supervillain who is just like a mad scientist and he's experimenting on creatures and on people. And it's like it's it's kind of the the opposite end of you know kind of the Idris Elba and John Cena kind of supervillains where all they are entirely physical um the thinkers um evil is kind of all mental and uh in terms of like him thinking up like the most perverse ways to torture people in order to um <laughs> in order to you know investigate this this realm of science he's taking part in and he just doesn't care he's he's just like a uh, just as like a kind of a scientific sociopath. Yeah, <laughs> it could, could also be an indicator that he uh, will appear. Maybe he's the main villain in um, the uh, HBO show because it's gonna be an HBO show, right? About the peacemaker, yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I'm. I mean, I, I don't. I don't doubt Cena, and I don't doubt Gunn, who is heavily involved in the show. But I, I what I'm hesitant oh, like, about all the. Like we're not just making movies that tie into each other. We're making TV shows too. Like I, that's a hassle and a half. I've I've enjoyed the Marvel shows so far, but I, at the same time, it's like, how how is it going to get to a point where it's not just enough to sort of like be a casual viewer? Like you watch some movies or you watch some TV shows, you have to watch all of it in, a, to, in order to get the full scope of the universe. That's where I'm kind of 
concerned. Like, and that's Same that's here. the point. This, where this I is such at. an amazing film, and films I think still make would like make more money, right? I just don't understand why mm-hmm. they wouldn't have James Gunn keep going, you know. But uh, whatever. Well, that's I guess, what I, that's I guess... what I like about this is that if there's like a, there's a beginning, there's a middle, and their end, and an end. Yeah, like, yeah there's exactly. Gonna a, there's going to be a peacemaker TV show, but at the same time, I feel like his story is done and if he has future stories that's fine but yeah there wasn't any like um there wasn't anything noticeable in this film that was meant as a direction towards the spinoff right nobody's setting up anything like kind of explicit like uh at the end of the 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 theatrical justice league where lex luther meets deathstroke and they're talking about starting their own team team of supervillains and it's like oh see now you're set now you're sort of explicitly setting up things that have to be paid off later but you know it's like there could be further adventures of the suicide squad and that would be fine but this kind of exists on its own thing and and i think it feels i mean james gunn's about to go back and do Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. The yeah, fact that we, weird. The fact that we got this is something of a minor miracle because he was fired from Marvel for like decade old tweets and then um, everybody over there sobered up and rehired him. Um, yeah, like we were saying, I think he's just one of the rare guys they realize he's an amazing director, including for like blockbuster films. So they just <laughs> they're just ignoring the you worked for DC or DC, you know, oh you work for Marvel. They're just letting him letting him be him. Well, you know, going back to what I was saying at the beginning, I, I, what I wish is that instead of following Marvel into this, you know, multi-movie universe madness, they had just said, hey, directors, come over, you know, if you have a great Batman story, pitch it to us. If you have a great Leg- Legion of Superheroes story, pitch it to us. If you have a great Adam Strange story, Suicide Squad, like, just, like, open up, like, the... Yeah, you can make a Green Lantern movie on, but like also make some of these like weirder characters, like these like obscure characters that we own that we bought from Charlton Comics in 1952. <laughs> um, you know, it's just like kind of open it up, like do the opposite of Marvel, where you be, turn it into like a director's like sort of shopping spree, it, like the the Criterion cupboard where you just go and get whatever Criterion movies you want. But the <laughs> the I just wish they had, they've kind of gone in that direction now, but there's still this like inkling of the whole extended universe thing. But I, I, I think the suicide squad is the closest we get to that, where it's just like, we have this weirdo concept of a film. We have this weirdo guy as a director. Let's put them together and see what happens. And it turns out, you, you know, you, you marry the right director, to the right material. You get some really awesome stuff, which well, I think it's also, yeah, it is. And I think it's something deserved for Margot Robbie because she was mm-hmm. like I didn't I didn't like the first Suicide Squad and the Birds of Prey was okay, but she <gasps> as like herself the character I thought was was great. So it was really nice seeing uh, I I don't think this will be the conclusion. She'll probably do more, but it, it you know, worst come to worst if it is, it was really great. Yeah. And yeah. I like the Birds of Prey. I just I didn't I didn't love it. I thought this was this was phenomenal. I love Birds of Prey because Well, it, yeah, it was it was I I listened to your review and I do agree with you. But it's, um, it's just again, it's not what you expect from a comic book movie. Yeah, yeah. So this is just again, it's it's just further uh, a further allowance for her to be a great, you know, mm-hmm. Harley Quinn and to continue that. Mm-hmm. And I um, like, and the, there's there's stuff with this too, just to, to sort of I because I, I do want to highlight this especially. There's stuff with this too, like there's stuff like in the control room. 
as the Suicide Squad are on their mission, like the people who are like who work for Amanda Waller on the support side, who um, that that had great sort of shade to this, where you know they're at the beginning, they're like betting on which member of the squad is going to get killed first. But <laughs> as the mission continues, they become a bit more leery of like Waller's particular brand of like mission centric insanity and that stuff it was i i thought that stuff was really great too that you can you can you don't just have to be sort of plot focused with these things you can inject them with a lot of like kind of grounded more human reality as well and uh, i i thought a lot of that was really great too and viola davis is like she is Amanda Waller. I don't. Oh well, she's just she's just a great <laughs> actress all around. I, I I wish he'd been in it a bit more, but when she mm-hmm. was, it was it was really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you have any um, finalish thoughts? No, I think even with my comment earlier about you know Pete Davidson and, and Mr. Rooker, because um, mm. I'm a fan of them too, and I still enjoyed it. So I think I take back what I said. Like. <laughs> still see it but do keep in mind like it's not they're not really they're in the film but they're not like the main characters or anything but no i i highly recommend this film and uh like you said i kind of hope there isn't uh you know a spinoff or anything i, I kind of hope this is just a standalone mm-hmm. or um at least it doesn't become you know like eight different tv shows and such i think i think this film the Suicide Squad, not Suicide Squad listeners. The Suicide Squad <laughs> is just a great film, whether you've seen the first ones or the other DC ones. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, James Gunn keeps uh, being James Gunn. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to take back what you said at the beginning about how this was a marvelous film? <laughs> it was a what? marvelous film. What, what do you mean? Did I say that? I thought you was... said that at the beginning. I wrote it down so I could bring it up later. You said it was a marvelous film. I just this was good. All right. Well, we're... <laughs> I said wait. So I said I said it was a marvelous film. You said it was a marvelous film. Yes. I do think it was. Yeah, it was wonderful. No, it but you wonderful. said it was a marvelous film. Oh, I get it. I get it. Honestly, I'm 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 kind of glad. Yeah. All right. Let's... Enough of that. Enough of that Marvel jazz. Let's wrap up the show. Peter, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, somewhere where you won't see anything about stupid Marvel. No, um, all, DC, all DC. No, uh, Peter West Salmon on uh, TikTok and Mr. Towerack on the YouTube and the Twitter. And that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com. You can also download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday on Podbean, or you can get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. And if you so choose, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits just by looking up End Credits on CFRU in your Spotify app and hit play on that playlist. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. for news and politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz, who's my co-host there. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can find my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. You can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And we will be playing something from the archive for the next couple of weeks. We'll be back with live shows, or I guess new shows, 
not quite live yet, but we'll be back with more new episodes of the show starting on August the 25th. And until then, we will see you next time.